So we are coming to the end of another year. And there's some things that people do at the end of years. So they make top 10 lists from the previous year, the best 10 books they read or the most fun trip they had. And I remember back in 2020 that a lot of people were just glad that 2020 was over. And they had in mind that 2021 had to be better. It just got to be better because 2020 was so terrible. Nobody had ever lived through something as bad as 2020. Um, and so we're going to think a little bit this morning, looking back at 2023, because it's mostly behind us. I mean, you've got about, mm, what, 13 and a half hours to, to change what happened in this year. But that's not a lot of time considering the amount of time that was in the year. And then we're going to look forward to what is new next year. And just think about the things that God makes new. So years are a little arbitrary, aren't they? So we go around the sun every 365 and one quarter days. That's why we have 365 days in a year. And then every four years, we have 366 days in the year. But if we lived on Mars, we would go around the sun every 687 days. And if we lived on Jupiter, that'd be a tough planet to live on. But if you lived on Jupiter, you would go around the sun every 4,333 years, which is a long time. That's, that's older than Milo and Joe put together. So... Years are a little bit arbitrary. This is just how many times we go around the sun and we count it. Um, but we're going to be focusing on new things and old things. And as we think of the Bible, it is a really old book. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have new things to say or that God doesn't have new promises for us. So when we are facing dark times or trials, and they're bound to be some of those next year, the Bible still has new things to offer us that can help us go through them. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I'd ask you this morning, does this seem like a new commandment? Jesus was at the Last Supper, and he said to his disciples, I'm giving you something brand new. Like, this is exciting. We get to hear something new. And he says, I want y'all to love each other. I'm like, that's not new. What's new about that? And... If we look in the Old Testament, we do see that there were commands for people to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a, that's a good command, isn't it? And it sounds a little bit like what Jesus was saying. But I think the difference here is that Jesus was saying, love each other the way that I've loved you, and I'm going to love you by going to the cross for you. And that's a pretty big step to take, isn't it? If we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus took these Old Testament commands and he made them stronger. He said, you have heard 
that it's a bad thing to kill somebody else, but I'm going to tell you that if you say mean things to your brother, that's even worse. And so Jesus' new commandments are harder. I was thinking about new things, and new things aren't always better. So if you use a computer, um, and I use a computer at my work all the time, when the IT people come out with a new version, it doesn't always work better, at least not first off. Sometimes things get a little bit um, glitchy, and something that worked wonderfully before doesn't work anymore. And then the then those... Um, People who are very smart go into the code and they tweak this and that and the other thing, and then it works better. Um, and sometimes they take something away that you really liked. You had a certain shortcut key that you always used, and that's the one that they took away for some reason. They never tell you why. They just do it. And so it's new, but it doesn't mean it's better. But when God gives us new things, they are better. So let's move to thinking about 2023, looking back. I think most of us don't like to look back. And anyway, didn't Jesus tell us not to look back? In Luke 9, 62, he said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. And then, of course, we're remembering Lot's wife. Lot's wife looked back, didn't she? And look what happened to her. We wouldn't want that to happen to us, would we? It's hard to drive with your um, head cranked over looking behind you, and it's hard even to drive looking in your rearview mirror. But we need to remember that the whole Bible is looking back. These are stories that happened a long time ago. If you read Hebrews 11, it is a picture of what folks in the Old Testament did and ways in which they showed themselves faithful, even in desperate situations. I'm sorry, Romans 6, 17 through 19 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So the point of this passage is to say, look back, not with longing for the time before you knew Jesus, but for a realization that you were a slave. Maybe Paul here is thinking of the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt. And we know that when they were in the desert, somehow they forgot how bad slavery really was. Slavery couldn't be very good, could it? And yet they were said, you know, slavery wasn't good, but it's better than this. And they, they longed for, for onions and garlic and stuff like that. They were tired of manna. We are slaves of righteousness. And it is good for us to remember what it was like to be in sin, not with longing, but with gladness for the amazing freedom that we now have because of Jesus' ministry in our lives. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. And maybe there's two things that we can see here. First of all is the idea that God has a reason for the suffering in our lives. So in this case, it was punishment. These Israelites were in the desert because of some bad things that they had done and their unwillingness to trust God. But the second thing is that God was faithful through that whole journey. Every step of the way, he took care of them. And even when there were things that they deserved to have happen, he protected them from those. And so before we think about the new things, I would like us to look back on 2023. I know that... Some people say the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history, but I think that's probably true on a national level, but on an individual level, we can learn things. We learn things in school, don't we? So we, I guess Mr. Bowman hopes so. If you get to the last day of 12th grade and you know exactly the same stuff when you started first grade, that's a problem. Um, your teachers will be frustrated. Your parents will be frustrated. There's probably other people who wonder what's been going on. It, sometimes we learn just even by accident. And so I'm going to ask a couple questions, and I'm not going to ask you all to, to answer these out loud, but inside your, your heart, inside your mind, think about the answers for these. So first, what things did you do in 2023 that improved your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to ask yourself, am I closer to Jesus January 1st of 2024 than I was January 1st of 2023? How much time this last year did you spend in prayer? Were there specific things having to do with self-control that you struggled with? How well did you put the fruit of the Spirit into action? And then, as you think about those things, ask yourself the question, what could be different in 2024? If you go into 2024 with exactly the same attitude that you went into 2023, you will have exactly the same results, won't you? The second thing I want you to ask yourself is to think about the people in your family and your relationship with them. What did you do in 2023 that encouraged your family, that strengthened your relationship with them, that made those bonds stronger? I was listening to a book talking about flourishing, and it's not a Christian book. But the author said that for a marriage to flourish, there needs to be a five to one ratio of positive encouraging statements to negative statements. So if every time I tell Elaine that she cooked a good meal, I also tell her something that she could do better in her life, our marriage is in trouble. That may feel good to me. I feel like I'm balanced. I'm giving her positive and negative. And she can just deal with that. 
But the reality is I need to give her way more positive than I give negative. And if I look back on 2023 and realize that my relationship with my wife and children was characterized by criticism, I can do one of two things, can't I? I can either cut down on the criticism or I can ramp up the positive feedback or I can do both. But if I stay the same, I am going to have the same results and it's not going to build positive relationships. So we don't need to take hours and hours sitting down and making lists and thinking about these things. But I do think it is important to look back. We have some regrets about 2023 and we have some things that we feel went well. But we need to go into 2024 with an attitude that there are some things we can do better. So much of life is not about having new things. It is about improving old things. Sermons are like that. If you come to church and you hear me preach something that is completely different than you've ever heard before, then I'm probably a heretic. If it's in the Bible, you've probably heard it preached before, at least if you're, I mean, maybe Elise is hearing new things. She doesn't seem to be listening anyway. But we don't need a new Jesus. We need a closer relationship with the old Jesus. That's what we need. And looking forward, we need to ask ourselves, what needs to change so that that can happen? Behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21 verse 5 says, Then he who sat on the throne, and we know that's Jesus. We see his picture in the first chapter of Revelation. He's standing there. He's shining like the light. And we see Jesus in all his glory. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And this section comes at the beginning of a passage talking about heaven. And we think, oh, of course, everything's going to be new in heaven. We just have to get there. And the only way to get there is to die. So I guess we'll just slog along with this old stuff we have here. But God promises us new things before we get to heaven. I was thinking about all the different new things I've had in my life. And, um, and when I was in, um, in my residency training, I, um, I got a new car. Well, it wasn't a new car. It was a new used car. I had been driving a green Dodge Shadow to that point, and it worked well. But after I made a little bit of money, I thought, you know what you need, John, is you need a doctor's car kind of car that a doctor would drive. And so I went to the dealership and I drove a number of different vehicles and I ended up coming home with a, um, with a used Chrysler Concorde. It was burgundy. I don't know what burgundy is, but it looked kind of somewhere between red and purple. I thought burgundy was a place. And the car ran well for about two weeks and then the transmission went out on it and it started making grinding noise when you accelerated it. And so I called the folks up at the dealership. They said, oh, those things happen. You bring it by here and we'll fix it up for you. And so they put a new transmission in it. And it did, it did run better after that. And then maybe about a month later, I was driving home from 
my residency and I was driving on backcountry roads and a deer ran right out in front of me. And I hit that deer and it really messed up the front of the car. Um, the transmission was okay at that point, but the rest of the car was not so good. And so I took it in to the body shop and they worked on it for a while. It's probably gone for two and a half weeks while they worked on it. And they got it back running again. The body looked nice again. It's a nice car. I liked it. And a little while later, uh, maybe four or five months later, I was, I was driving and, um, and a girlfriend um, who was not Elaine was sitting beside me and I wasn't paying attention to the road well enough and I ran into the back of a pickup truck. And that did about the same thing to the front of the car that the deer did. Uh, but this time it was my fault. And it took a little longer to fix that. And eventually I was back on the road again uh, with this brand new car that ran well whenever I could run it, but it just didn't run very well most of the time. And um, so, so this got me through another couple months and then I was going out to Indiana to interview for a job and I was in the right-hand lane and uh, a dump truck got over and hit the back end of me and pushed me all the way across to the far left-hand lane. This was a three-lane traffic on that side. And, um, and that did the end of my Chrysler Concorde. I didn't have a doctor's car anymore. I didn't have any car. They totaled it. And so, so that was it. My new car, I didn't get to drive that much because it was in the shop all the time. And even, um, even when I did get to drive it, it seemed like it wanted to run into stuff. Um, and so as we look forward to 2024, maybe we think to ourselves, you know, maybe 2024 is going to be like John's Chrysler Concorde. Burgundy runs really well, but, you know, there's going to be lots of hard stuff in it. And maybe we'll run into some deer and we'll just be glad to get to the end of it. Um, but God gives us new things and he gives them for needs that are in our lives. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, he has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. And this song speaks to me of joy. God gives us an amazing feeling of wonder and of joy for the work that he is doing in our lives. And I don't say that he has done because he's not done yet. He's keeping on working. The amazing thing is not the tune, the new melody that we hear. It is the personal nature of this song. It is the message that God is not done with me yet. And he's not done with you yet. When we have a real ex experience of God's goodness in our lives, the joy that is inside has to bubble over. And we have to share this joy with other people around us. Maybe as we look forward into the next year, even those of us who are not composers, who don't write songs and melodies, will still have a new song in our hearts, an increased joy in our love and relationship with God. Isaiah 43, 16 through 21. I read some of this um, to the children. 
Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together and they shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and ostriches, because I make waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. What is this new thing that God is going to do? What does it mean to make a road in the wilderness or rivers in the desert? Quite simply, God is a master of taking the bad and the hard things of our lives and making something beautiful out of them. This is not to say that God causes suffering or that he causes loss in our lives, but somehow he is able to take those things and make something useful out of them. In 1775, Daniel Boone and a group of 30 men with axes decided to blaze a trail through the mountains from North Carolina to Kentucky. And if you all have ever been to Cumberland Gap Park, you see the area that they were going through. This was a trail in the wilderness. There wasn't anything there, and they didn't have big machinery or backhoes or anything. They just had axes and horses, and they made a trail through the wilderness. And you can see where that was at today. And as we look forward to 2024, God is going to make a way through. Maybe that's going to be in a surprising way. Maybe he's just going to give us strength to get through the mountains in our path, to give us water to drink when we are dry and parched. It is obvious when we read this passage, it is full of imagery that refers to the Israelites leaving Egypt. They were traveling through the desert of Sinai where there were no paths. They received sweet water for bitter at Marah, water from the rock at Horeb, and later also in the desert of Sin. When God sets a path before us, he sees us through, though the paths be rough and steep and all but unknown though they are defended by jackals and lions. And at the end of that path, we will shout with praise, not because we're so great or awesome, but because God is and because he's seen us through. 2 Corinthians 5.17, maybe this is the verse that you thought of whenever you heard of God making things new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And a a parallel verse from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. These two verses go together to me. It is the idea that God makes something new out of us when we become his children. This is far better than any gift that someone else could give to us. God transforms us by his mighty power into something completely different. 
The first verse I read from 2 Corinthians speaks of a new creation. We know that the old creation was perfect in the beginning, but because of sin, it fell and it fell apart. It is no longer something perfect. We can see glimpses of its beauty, and yet, even when we go into the most beautiful parks, we see trash, we see litter, we see the touch of humans on that perfection that God made in the beginning, and it just doesn't look so good. When you're a photographer, you go out and take pictures, and taking pictures with power lines just doesn't feel quite the same. And so you, you try to frame the power lines out, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get your clone tool out after the fact, and you try to get rid of the power lines. You're trying to fix the things that man does to the beautiful vistas around him. But God doesn't transform us on the outside. He isn't doing plastic surgery on us so that all of us, after we become his servants, suddenly look beautiful and handsome and everybody says, wow, those people are children of God. They, they're just, they're beautiful. But he changes us on the inside. He does heart transplant surgery on us. He takes out the stony heart that is inside us and replaces it with something that is able to love and serve in the way our Savior loved and served us. My mind goes to the verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The point here is that there are two possibilities for each one of us. We can be conformed to the world around us, or we can be transformed by allowing God to change our hearts, to change our minds. As we think about our, this new year in front of us, we need to allow God to change us into ways that will transform us into his people. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. This is the last new thing that I'm going to bring up here. It says, though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new. His faithfulness is great. It is because of these things that we are not consumed or burned up. You all probably have heard the poem, um, but there is a poem called The New Leaf. And... I just thought I would share it briefly. It's by Helen Field Fisher. He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Dear teacher, I want a new leaf, he said. I've spoiled this one. I took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted, and into his sad eyes smiled. Do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a quivering soul. The old year was done. Dear Father, hast thou a new leaf for me? I have spoiled this one. He took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted, and into my sad heart smiled. Do better now, my child. It is God's mercies 
that we are looking forward to another year, that he gives us a new leaf. Each piece of paper that our teacher has given us in school was bound to get some sort of mistake on it, some blot on it that doesn't belong. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes remember the bad times better than the good times, the times when I struggled, the times when I fell down and I failed and I was not what I should have been. And yet the promise is there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God sees our messed up paper. And he looks into 2024, and he knows we'll do exactly the same thing in 2024 so many times that we did in 2023. And yet he still gives it to us, and he says, take this and do your best with it, and I will go with you, and I will make something new of your life, even though you don't deserve this. I think it's probably obvious why we like new things, but I'd like to think just a little bit about why that is this morning. So many of you got some new stuff over Christmas. Maybe you got, um, I don't know, a new phone. Maybe you got something else and you were excited about that thing. But what I can tell you is that six months from now, that new thing is going to be an old thing. And even if it's something that you use a lot, you won't think about it. And so as time goes by, we get tired of old things. The verse in 2 Corinthians 5 that I read earlier talks about us being a new creation and old things passing away. Some of us are tired of the old me, we want to be more like Jesus, and yet it's such a struggle. And we wonder, how is 2024 going to be different? And what I can tell you this morning is that God promises to give us new, to transform us bit by bit into the likeness of his son. So often in human experiences, things don't turn out quite the way we want or they get spoiled. I guess maybe one last little thing that I was thinking about. My father got a, a new Cadillac Seville. Um, I was probably eight or nine years old at the time, and he was very proud of it. It had leather seats, and it smelled like a new car is supposed to smell. And he loaded, um, he loaded the older three of us into the vehicle and he took us out driving and it was a nice car. It's probably nicer than my Chrysler Concorde was. And, um, and we were going over the back roads of Maryland and, um, and here my sister Molly gets car sick easily and she vomited in the back seat and suddenly there was no new car smell. And that sort of told me a little bit about what our experience is like. And yet, we can give our lives to God, and he will transform them. Malachi 2, verses 2 and 3 says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. 
He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Launderer's soap. I think about when I was in uh, doing some VS in Central America and they didn't have a washing machine. And so there was a local lady who would take my clothes and she would, um, she would wash them in the local river. And she'd go down to the river and she'd put some soap on them and she'd get a rock and she'd just rub them against the rock till the, till the stains came out. And a couple of my shirts came back with holes in them. That's what happens when you rub shirts on rocks hard enough. Um, they didn't have stains anymore, but they didn't, they didn't look like shirts should should look, and I, I wasn't able to wear them anymore, at least not for anything other than painting. And purification is hard. The refinement process is hard. God puts us in the fire. He puts a harsh lye soap on our lives, and when we come out, we feel like we are full of holes. And the blessing is that he not only takes away the dirt, he renews the cloth. And that's something that we humans can't do. You saw this t-shirt that I showed to the children. That's, that t-shirt's done for. I should just pitch it. As we look forward to 2024, this is the most important thing. I would pray that God would be a refiner's fire or a harsh soap in each one of our lives. It won't make for an easier year. Some of the times will be really hard. But the important thing isn't that I come out December 31st of 2024 feeling good about all the wonderful trips I've taken and all the wonderful things I've gotten. I want to come out at the end of the year looking more like Jesus. And I want you to do the same.